Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Jonathan Odithone. He has an amazing story of how he grew up as a hardcore gamer, uh, pursued competitive opportunities, and really focused on building community throughout his career. He ended up as the president of the eSports Stadium in Arlington. He's got an amazing story of how that came to life and his goals in the space. Let's talk to Jonathan. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, I'm excited about this episode with my good friend, Jonathan Panda Odithone. Thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. John, absolutely thrilled to be here. Appreciate it. I'm glad to, to finally be able to be on. It, it's, it's been something that I've wanted to do for a while now. So, you know, we connected in Vegas and you mentioned wanting to get me on. So I was super excited uh, to jump at the opportunity. Awesome. appreciate you being here. So for the audience, a little background on how you and I got to know each other. I believe that was during my time at GameStop. And yeah. that, that was a time when the eSports Stadium in Arlington was being built. And you had the opportunity and the prestige of being the president of the Esports Stadium Arlington there. And I just, I loved what you did there, uh, seeing your leadership, uh, seeing men, your many speeches on the stage, uh, looking up at you and be like, I know that guy, he's my friend. Um, but why don't you take us through this career path and then let's dig into some of the very many things that you've learned in your time in esports. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Esports Stadium Arlington was was definitely uh, a pivotal moment for me in my career. You know, obviously, it, it's the largest dedicated esports facility in North America. You know, and there's, <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, the ones that would be bigger than it outside of, uh, you know, China, um, just in the world as a whole, right? So it was a huge yeah. moment. It was, uh, you know, the lead up of that facility, building, developing it, really the story from you know the beginning of my career um it all you know kind of fumbled up and and furled up into uh the story of that facility and um you know before i really dive into it i can go back you know i can go really far back and i think uh i think i should but yeah before i i do that you know i think it's it's important for everybody to kind of have their own personal mission in esports right Mm. and When I jumped in, it was 2008, uh, 2009, you know, when I first jumped in, you know, day one, when I, when I realized that this is something that I wanted to do, um, you know, that, that personal mission that I created was to build a foundation for growth. Right. Mm. So I think it's good to, to mention that as it might actually set an undertone for, you know, the narrative of, of, of the story here, but really it, it, look, it goes back. I mean, as many, many of our stories here in esports start, you know, we're, we're all gamers at first, you know, before we, before we knew what it was going to be, uh, what it was going to turn into, how we were going to be involved. We were all just gamers, you know, for me as a, a kid, you know, I remember, you know, playing Mario, playing uh, Sonic and, you know, my mom would have friends over, or, you know, I'd have friends over. And the, the only thing I ever wanted to do was sit there and play video games, you yeah. know? And um, that, that's, that's such a, a near and dear story for, for many in our industry. Right. And, um, to think back then as, as a kid, you know, playing Sonic, trying to speed run through it, uh, playing GoldenEye, playing Halo. I mean, I would go on camping trips and we'd bring power generators and rather than enjoying <laughs> the wilderness, I'm not even kidding. You know, me and my friends would be in a tent, you know, playing GoldenEye. And yeah. um, to think about 
where it's gone from then to where it is now, even outside of my career, it's just, it's amazing. You know, it's astonishing. So really it started for me being a fan of StarCraft, early 2000s, playing that game like crazy. That was really my first foray into competitive gaming and, uh, you know, watching Slayer's Boxer go at it, you know, Yellow, all of those greats back in the day, just, just, I don't even remember, to be honest, I couldn't even remember back in the early 2000s, what platform I was watching their, their footage on. Was YouTube around then? Do you, do you know? I can't remember when YouTube started, so... I'm not sure. I think there were a few websites that hosted some events. We didn't, I don't think, yet have YouTube. It definitely wasn't, didn't have the traction and the the viewership that it has today. But I think there were a few. I remember talking to Ben Nickel. Ben Nickel is an OG as well. Uh, was oh, yeah. with Red Bull. He's been with ESL, been with N- NGE. He's doing some other stuff now. But yeah, I think they hosted a website where they were just streaming uh, competitive gaming videos to that website rather than a dedicated app, if you will, like YouTube. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by iShaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, what I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo, engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC drop branded ice shaker at iceshaker.com forward slash DLC drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC drop. Yeah, so weird. I mean, the internet back then was was so different. You know, I had my my four by three uh, monitor and yeah. huge lug rig, and my fifty six k internet. And my mom would pick up the phone. Dude, my mom was such a uh, a chattermouth. You know, like that's <laughs> like like that. You know, today people are on their phones all the time, but my mom was literally on the phone nonstop. So it was it was the worst uh, internet experience for me. Um, but you know, she'd pick it off. I'd get knocked off. But anyways, I got a lot of my my gaming done late at night, um, Hmm. secretly, you know, when I'm supposed to be asleep. So, and and I think that's, that's why like Starcraft, you know, was so big for me because, you know, the, um, yeah, I was able to kind of dive into this world of something that was happening in South Korea, you know, or, or Europe and other parts of the country. And I was blown away, you know, watching these guys go at it and play and compete. And, um, I got really competitive myself, you know, playing ladders, you know, I did a little bit of custom match just to, to loosen it up a little bit, but Starcraft was really big for me. Uh, it was the first competitive game that I really dived into. I didn't know though about esports. The only, like, mm. I don't think that was even a term that I had ever heard in my entire life um, at that point in time, right? To me, this was just this thing that I like to do with my friends and I, I like to watch matches and I'd like to dive and dissect the game, you know, like what is my, what's my two minute in strategy on mining, building and, you know, like, like managing my economy. It was just, it was so cool. Um, so, you know, I was really big into that game and, uh, you know, nothing really happened to kind of move me forward into like this world of esports. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think it's important to tell that because that was like, 
kind of my, that was something that was near and dear. And even today, like I, I still hold Starcraft very close to me. Um, it, but it wasn't really until about 2009 that I got really involved with esports, and, and what I mean is like a rolling my sleeves up, understanding that there's this entire industry and community that existed. Hmm. Um, and it was by sheer luck. I mean, it was, it was crazy how this happened to me because, you know, I, I walked into a GameStop one day and, uh, I was, there you go. GameStop. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is very familiar. Uh, and so I walked in and I was buying a PS3, you know, it was like my first PS3. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy this and I'll buy a bunch of games, you know? Yeah. So I was, I did your traditional couch games, you know, uh, you know, your, your Madden, you know, about your call of duty, about your FIFA. And I was like, I'm going to play the heck out of these games. As I was checking out, I looked to my right and there was a display stand and, and I, I don't know the date off the top of my hand head, but it was literally the day that street fighter four had came out. Yeah. Um, I'm so, a street fighter guy. That's my jam. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, we can dive into that, man, because that is also my jam. Uh, but I, I noticed that, like, like, okay, hey, this game, Street Fighter Four, man. When I was a kid, I used to play Street Fighter Two in the arcade with my dad. Like, I played this thing on Super Nintendo, so it was it, it was a super sick game. I'm gonna pick it up, you know, because I just I just want to add to my my game inventory. You know, I want to have a bunch of games that I can play. I want to be that guy. So. Um, I picked it up, bought it, and honestly, it sat there. Um, I didn't really play it too much. Hmm. Um, but then I found out a couple of my buddies, and uh, a couple of my buddies were actually playing. And uh, so I kind of linked up with them, started playing. You know, I thought I was hot stuff at the time, playing against the computer, right? And and then they came in and kicked my butt. And But that, like, drove me to get better and better. So I like, I hit it hard. I hit training hard. Like I, I started, you know, researching combos and mm -hmm. uh, really trying to take myself from being this super big scrub to even less of a scrub. Um, but then I started beating them and, uh, you know, so th this was a couple of months, you know, of us just getting together and being really obsessed and playing this game. Um, you know, we'd go to each other's houses, play. Um, but we had no idea that this game had a much bigger community that like there was something else bigger happening with street fighter four. And I had no idea at the time, you know, um, but where my, were you living at this time? I was actually, uh, so here in Conway, here in Conway, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah I was living here. Um, so this was you know, kind of pre social media or, or, or pre like social media really popping off in the way that we know it today. And so you probably didn't know much more than what was happening in your immediate neighborhood or your immediate town, right? You weren't seeing all these other things, what people in Southeast, Southeast Asia were doing with esports tournaments or anything else that was happening around the country. No idea. No idea. And you're right. You know, there was no, I think Facebook, you know, Facebook existed, but there was no real social media, like pool, you know, yeah. that really allowed you to discover, you know, like the discovery tools and social media weren't there yet. So, but what we did find is, uh, sure you can .com. And mm, if, you, yep. if you don't know what sure you can do, yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, it was the Holy grail for finding communities, you know, uh, promoting tournaments, talking about, uh, you know, strategy frames, you know, learning about the game. It was just the Holy grail it was forums. You know, that's how, that's how we socialized back then was through internet forums. So we found sure you can.com and in sure you can.com. Um, my buddies, you know, Alan Blake, they said, Hey, 
there's this forum, right? There's this, you know, this regionalized forum where you can go in and, and find people that are playing this game in your area. Mm. And uh, so there was an Arkansas uh, thread. So who would have thought? Who, who would have thought? Walmart no and Street idea. Fighter. <laughs> yeah, Walmart and Street Fighter, exactly. So there's there's this small, I mean, really tiny community of people. Some of them had been around, you know, since the the third strike days. You know, I remember a guy named Warp to God, man. Like this guy was, he's an OG, and I still see him on Twitter every now and then, you know. And he's still got, you know, fighting game enthusiasts in his profile. So shout outs to that guy. But you know, there were those guys, and then there were the new blood that Street Fighter Four brought in. You mm-hmm. know, so we introduced ourselves you know, and, and, and just so happened to, to meet a few folks on there. And we were like, Hey, you know what? Let us host. So I invited, uh, two other guys over. And, um, from there, you know, it was me and my buddy, Alan, my buddy, Blake, uh, we, we thought we were hot stuff, you know, because we beat up on each other. We thought we had our combos down. We invited this, you know, guy named Mike and Max over and, uh, um, they, they played with us and we were in my garage and dude, they just steamrolled us. It was insane. Like we, we had no idea what the game was, you know, but we, we, we uncovered this new version of the game that we'd been playing for months. And it was, it was through like seeing them play against us. We had no idea that that layer of like meta existed. Mm. Um, but from there, like we were hooked, man. So right then and there, uh, that was kind of that moment, you know, where I felt like, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was for me today, but, yeah. you know, I knew that I wanted to do something in this space, you know, like I, I wanted to build something. I wanted to build a community. Um, right. And that's that foundation, you know, that foundation that I was building was getting people together to play games, uh, in a very neutral, you know, a positive environment where we learn, we compete, we're friends. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter, you know, what your religion or what your job is. To be honest, I have no idea what anybody I've met in gaming really do mm-hmm. um, outside of the ones I've worked with. Yeah. Um, but, but that moment right there is when I really learned that that's kind of what I wanted to do is, is I wanted to build some type of foundation. I just had no idea how, when, right. how big it was going to be. You know, I think, I think, I think, it's really important to kind of talk about that moment because that was really a springboard for me moving forward kind of in this industry. Yeah, I think that's amazing because you have a lot of vision there, right? I mean, now a lot of people are saying, how do I get into esports into this industry that is booming, that has all this infrastructure, that now has locally based teams, that is global? You know, there's arenas there's teams, there's leagues, there's agencies, there's there's all these different ways to get into it. But back then, it sounds like you had this this vision to grow this community, but there was no infrastructure. You couldn't look uh, beyond yourself and say, I want to do that or I want to work for those people. It was, I want to do more of this with more people is what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly, man. And, you know, this is why I have a tremendous amount of respect for, you know, some of the biggest names, you know, in, in, in esports, you know. Ben Nickel, Adam Apicella, you know, Alex Jabaley, Alex Faye, all of these guys have, have contributed so greatly to esports. but you know, you, you see how successful they are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but also take a look at their beginnings. It was very humble. You know, it, it really was from yeah. like the grassroots side, like, like on the grounds, like, like literally building and propping this industry up on their own, you know? So as I sort of, you know, as throughout my career, I learned a lot about these guys and, uh, you know, I looked up to them for sure and what they were doing and, you know, but I, I really respect that nature of, of someone that really has that, 
kind of ground up experience and, and, and what they're able to do because it's, it creates that authentic, you know, a, a very authentic ground for uh, growth. And I think that's important in our industry. Yeah, I think a lot of a, a lot of people nowadays are either trying to get in it for money or notoriety, but the folks who got into it before there was any money or notoriety and it was pure passion project, I think there's something here. I love doing this. I don't want to do anything else. That really tells you who that person is, what type of person they are, and and you're one of those people. So take me past, you know, you getting this epiphany, if you will, wanting to build <laughs> in esports, uh, what was your next step? Yeah, you know, so from there, it, it was very organic, man. I, I, I took a completely different path than where I am today, actually. Hmm. Um, I really went all in on being a competitor. Like I wanted to be pro, um, you know, so regionally, um, I would travel, you know, to all the Southern states here, you know, Louisiana, hmm. Mississippi, Missouri, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, and I was competing in all these different regional tournaments. You know, you're talking, you know, taking a car down with, with, you know, four other guys jam packed, your fight sticks in your lap, your bags in the trunk. Yep. Then you're sharing a, a hotel room with five other people that also came down from Arkansas to go to some Dallas tournament. You're sleeping on a floor, drinking all night, hanging out, you know, and just playing games, learning money, matching, go to, go into your other guy, you know, guys rooms. Like that was, that was what I did for uh, a good amount of time. And uh, I got pretty good at the game. You know, um, I, I'd, you know, I'd win some majors. I'd get top three, but you know, I never really crossed that layer of like being a pro, you know, mm-hmm. I could hang for sure, but I, I never, I, I, you know, humbly. So I would say that I, I never went fully pro in that game, maybe more so semi-pro. I was definitely a threat in the bracket regional yeah. tournaments. I played it's pretty high, but you know, to get to a major, I was just, I was just a threat in pools at that point. But, um, like, again, I learned a lot, you know, about that and, and it is something that drove me and I had a lot of passion in it, but I realized that like, this isn't, this isn't my purpose, you know, mm. this isn't my purpose. I had a completely different career, you know, working in, working in tech, I was bartending on the side. And, um, what I really kind of latched onto was supporting the community, right? Like elevating and, and allowing the community to rise. Um, you know, when we would host our meetups, um, I, I realized that like, Hey, look, you know what, like, you know, on the West coast, those guys, you know, at, at level up with, you know, Alex by they're they're streaming all their Wednesday night fights, you know, and, and on the East coast, man, you have team spooky doing his thing. Yeah. We don't really have anybody down here in the South. That's, that's showing off what we're doing, you know? Right. So, um, man, I, I started investing into streaming equipment, you know, I got a webcam, I uh, got a computer that could, could do the encoding and, and back then things like XSplit and OBS didn't actually exist, man. So it was a really rink a dink kind of setup. You know, yeah. I was using a Hopodge HD PVR as a capture device. I remember that thing had such crazy, uh, uh, lag, you know, from video to screen that it wasn't really a great experience. Start with the, the, the dazzle, all of that, you know, um, right. but I invested into a little bit of gear, did my little 360 P stream 30 frames and, uh, started kind of spotlighting our community, you know, all of our tournaments, all of our weeklies. And I wanted to build what they had on the West coast. I wanted to build what they had on the East coast. So I started streaming from there. Like I, I kind of took this weird path. Like I was like this, local community streamer, but also I really wanted to be a good street fighter player. Um, so I went online actually. So while doing all of this, 
I developed a brand called Panda X Gaming. Um, and this brand, I had, it, it blew up. And mm. I became a, like the home for Street Fighter Four online, like tournaments, online matches and everything. Wow. So you could literally, it, it was a 24 seven stream. I had this like vision that like, I was gonna bring, like build this, this kind of just network of, of nonstop content where people could join these open lobbies, compete against each other, train. And in the evenings we do exhibitions, we do tournaments. I did this for, for a few years and it, it got huge. You know, um, you could literally come to twitch.tv slash gaming at any moment and, and watch 20 uh, street fighter. Like it like, and all it was, was me going through like 20 Xboxes, but having an Xbox hooked up to a capture card to my PC, and then I'd set up an open lobby so players can join. And then I just spectate those matches, but it was nonstop 24 seven. I'd go off to work. This oh, lobby smart. was going, wow. people were, people were playing, you know, and, and I'm not going to say that I, I, you know, I was the first to do that idea. I was actually, there was a guy named peaceful Jay who, who kind of started this way back in the day. He actually passed the torch off to me and he, he disappeared, but he kind of like mentored me for a little bit wow. um, on, I learned a lot about streaming and I learned a lot about building communities from him. Um, and it was funny just the other day I was going through some old Gmail text logs and I came up on a conversation I had with them and I just kind of refreshed my memory. I was like, Whoa, I was, I was so clueless back then. You know? <laughs> didn't know what uh, you didn't know. I'm sure. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I think that's, that's, that's something that we all have to do is, 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 you know, to take a moment to understand that throughout your entire career, there's never a moment that you stop learning from others. You know, mm. um, you, you have to always be humble, but, um, you know, so I was building an online community, you know, and viewership was great from there. You know, I was still doing the thing on the side with streaming, uh, our locals here in Arkansas and, um, I got noticed by some of the bigger tournament organizers in Dallas, Texas, mm -hmm. and they hired me to come out in, oh God, what was it? I think 2013 um, to stream the second, the secondary stream, right? So I wasn't the primary broadcast, but I was the secondary broadcast uh, to do Tekken. Uh, to stream cool. Tekken um, and, you know, a lot of big name players from, from Korea. I had no idea who they were at the time, but now I do came over JDCR was one of them. And they, it, it was a huge deal, you know, like, like apparently like I had all these huge big name Tekken players that were legends, you know, they're like gods of Tekken competing on my stream. So, you know, I did that Friday, Saturday, uh, knocked it out of the park. And that was like my first real gig, you know, mm -hmm. uh, pr producing and, and directing kind of this stream. And, uh, they hired me back next year as the primary stream, you know, and this was an event called absolute battle. So from there, like my streaming career, you know, pr producing broadcasts for tournaments and, and these bigger events kind of kicked off and I stopped focusing on being a player and put more time into streaming of still doing the online stuff on the side. Like I'd even go out and travel and still have that stream up, you know, oh, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and I would be, you know, streaming these big tournaments, um, on the side, but, um, you know, I'd go to Oklahoma, I'd go to Texas, I'd go to Louisiana, do all these big streams and throughout the years. I mean, it took me, I mean, 2009 to 2013, it took me like four years to even get a, you know, my first paycheck in the industry. And by that time I had wow. invested so much time, so much money, you know, into procuring equipment. But to me, it was like, I was passionate about what I was doing. I was serving what I thought my purpose was, um, you know, building that foundation for growth. 
So I would say my first big break into esports was in 2015. Um, I got called up by uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Seglia from Tenno Productions, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hey." I've, I've seen your work. I've seen what, and I have the email, man, I could probably read it verbatim, but it went along the lines of I've seen your work and I like what I see. We want to bring you out to Las Vegas to produce and direct uh, one of our streams. So I was like, no way, Las Vegas, Evo, you mean Evo? Yeah. Like, so, so it was Evo, it was evolution, you know, the largest fighting game tournament in the world. Uh, I'm some small town guy in the South, you know, that just, I, all I wanted to do was build a platform for, you know, our community in the South to be seen, you know, and I, and I started doing that. I started accomplishing it, giving us recognition. And, and now I'm stepping up to play being asked to direct a broadcast in, in, in Las Vegas for evolution. So that was mind boggling. Wow. And you know, the, the game, which is, is, is funny because I was never a Tekken player, man, but I don't know why Tekken always just follow like, like, like Tekken just lured me in and it gave me the biggest opportunities in the space. Yeah, um, but, but it was when, it was right before Tekken seven came out. It was the very first Evo Tekken tournament, actually, uh, Ben and Namco had the game there at Evo, uh, and they kind of did like a pre-launch tournament and I streamed it, you know, so I, I, I produced, directed the broadcast, um, it was super sweet. It, you know, it was awesome. Um, from there, man, I, I went off and, you know, I was working with Tenno as kind of a, a side contractor. You know, I did a lot of stuff for Catcom Pro Tour, uh, the Injustice Pro Series when that was around. You know, I, I worked with CEO. I worked with Combo Breaker, uh, DreamHack even. Um, and, man, I, I, just, I just started traveling a ton, you know, picking up all these gigs, wow. doing my thing. But, you know, and I kind of skipped an important step here, but on the side, um, you know, I was, I was like, okay, I'm doing this thing online. I'm doing the streaming stuff, but I, you know, when I come home, what can I do here? I started running tournaments, Yeah. you know? So I started, you know, organizing and running tournaments through, you know, getting out to Dallas, learning how they're doing things, um, you know, getting out to Oklahoma, getting out to Vegas, just seeing, you know, tricks of the trade, learning, absorbing, and, and just being a sponge to information. I started running my own tournaments here, you know, went from literally the garage to, I went to music halls, you know, like music venues. I went to hotel ballrooms, game stores, you know, just kind of like as things were getting better, bigger, like kind of stay, the, the venue was evolving. The venue was changing, you mm. know? So, um, so I was doing the streaming thing. Um, the online lobby is kind of just started to slowly, like I, I didn't have time for it. You know, I was, I was running my own tournaments. Um, you know, I was, I was doing the streaming thing. I got picked up by a group called Kumite gaming. Uh, they brought me on as an owner, uh, to their tournament organization group. They were based out of Tennessee. So I worked with them. Uh, KIT is this huge uh, major tournament in the South. And I worked on, uh, with them as the, you know, kind of a, a broadcast and, and community outreach partner. Um, so help build that brand. Um, and uh, from there, man, I was just kind of doing my thing, you know, uh, 2015, 16, 17, Evo. Like I, I came back every year, directed a different thing. I think the first year was Tekken. The second year it was Smash ultimate and then the third year was tekken again um interestingly enough and uh you know so i was just doing this thing man i was i was growing these tournaments i was streaming things i was 
bring in spotlight to stuff. I created this exhibition series called Ultra, Ultra Fight Night. So when I would go out to absolute battles or, you know, your big majors, like it was kind of this brand, like the UFC, you know, it's fight card style. Like uh, I also, I didn't mention this about myself, but I, I have a huge martial arts background. I did a lot of MMA, uh, cool. Thai boxing way back in the day. So I kind of had that always in the back of my head. Like I wanted to create something similar to that. So I created uh, something called UFN Ultra Fight Night. And at every major tournament that I would stream, I would put together a fight card of like 10 different people. So there'd be like five matches, you know, yeah. like your undercard, your co-main event, your main event. Um, and, at, you know, Saturday night, this was the marquee main event, you know, so it, man, it, it, it was great. It was huge. Like people came to love and, and they were excited to watch it. Um, but, you know, I, again, I was just, I was just doing my thing over the years, working with lots of people. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Mark Lee with a- AOE creative, yeah. he was a big influential figure in, in my life and especially my career. You know, I, I was working with him a lot on absolute battle. And then him and I actually just became really integrated partners. Like we, we were like best buds back then, you know, so his graphic design uh, skill, you know, his, his work ethic, and then kind of me producing tournaments and, and broadcasts, like it made for a really good collaboration and partnership, but he had introduced me, I think it was absolute battle in 2016 in Dallas to a guy named Chris Cheney. Um, I shook this guy's hand, didn't know much about him, shook his hand and, you know, got to took, took the time to talk with him. Uh, and again, it, you know, it's, it's super important to, to build relationships, you know? Yes. Um, and uh, so shake every hand, candy hand, hear every story you can, um, because it, you never know what it could turn into. Uh, And that was one of those moments. Markel, you know, tells me, he's like, this guy's the real deal, man. This guy has a vision. He's got the connections to make some things happen. And, you know, I'd been burned a couple of times in esports, you know, uh, up to that point. And so I I was very wary, you know, and I was also like, I'm I'm happy with my growth. You know, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I don't think I had committed yet, like to like, that this could be a career option for me. This was kind of something I was doing on the side still until that point. But, you know, it, it, he brought a couple of people into the table and started talking more with Chris, hearing about his vision and, you know, the contacts that he had and uh, the, the partners that he he had from an investment perspective. And it, to me, it was just like, this is way too good to be true. You know, like, wow. like, like they wanted me to come in basically and to build their entire event vertical, you know, um, their, their, their broadcasting vertical, all of that, doing what I basically have been doing for years. Uh, but at like a level that is funded, you know, like that, that was, <laughs> that, always that, was that was new to me, you know, like yeah. you need funding, like we're not working on, um, shoestring budgets, you know? Um, and I think that discipline also carried with me cause I wasn't a big money. I didn't like spending money, you know, um, yeah. like being very, very, very frugal with my dollars. So, but, um, you know, those, that investment group ended up being, you know, some were silent partners, but, uh, the, the known partners were the Texas Rangers ownership group. Yes. Chris's vision was to build infinite esports uh, and entertainment. And under that many subsidiaries led by industry experts, right. Would do their thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so, so Markel was like, all right, man, you've got to be in this. Like you're the perfect person to do this. He believed in me. I actually didn't believe in myself, man. And it, Mm. it it got to the point to where like the writing was on the wall. This thing was going to happen, but I psyched myself out. I was like, there's just no way this is going to happen. It's too good to be true. You know? Mm. And I said, I said, Markel, I, I can't, I can't like put my time into this. You know, I'm going to back out. So I backed out. 
and, uh, you know, I was going to continue doing my thing and I was just like, I, I want to focus on my family. I want to focus on my, my current career. Um, this is a lot, you know, and, and I don't know if this, you know, I just, I didn't believe it at the time. And I look back and I was so foolish, but, um, you know, it was like a few weeks later, Markel reached back out to me and he said, I'm not going to let you back out of this. Like, oh, like wow. you That's know, a good what, friend, very good friend could have left me could have left me in the dirt, you know, and the dust and, you know, went off and did his thing. Um, but, um, you know, really I, that moment right there, man, I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, I, you believe in me, I'll believe in myself. Let's do it. Um, so, so my job within all of this was to be the, uh, president of engage esports, which was the events vertical for infinite esports entertainment um you know so we built a business model built a performer for the business and uh kind of just started working on building you know uh our, our clientele base and throughout that first year you know we did a lot of great stuff we built uh the events vertical for the houston outlaws you know we did uh some awesome events for optic gaming including optic arena which was this huge crazy uh event that we partnered with uh akon on yes um, so i want to dig into that a little bit that was that was incredible yeah. what that, that's something that i'm really interested in and the reason is it's more entertainment than competition, right? And so you have this unique thing in esports where it's digital, it's not physical. And so you can get a lot more creative with whatever the setup is or the technology in the area rather than having to be around a, a field or a court or something like that. And I loved how you guys really, you know, push the creativity there by having an event that, yes, included competition, but it was very entertainment focused. Yeah, yeah. Let me dive into that. That was a that was an awesome event, and we wanted to shift away from it being a competitive type tone. You know, mm-hmm. um, that I mean, it did have a competitive nature to it. You know, we we did a, a you know a couple of fighting games on the side, Smash and all that, and it was very successful. Th- those events on their own, you know. Um, but really, the crux of it was we wanted to create something that celebrated the people that have been a part of optic the, the big names the players the influencers right yeah. that allowed them to connect with their fans outside of the comp competitive environment you mm-hmm. know so so what we did is you know we 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 got all of the influencers buy-in you know we had a stage that they could literally sit there and stream and play games on and and, and you know an audience can watch there's this huge led wall this big stage on the other side of that stage was kind of it's another zone and we this was when fortnite was like blowing up it was crazy ninja had just gotten huge you know we actually tried to get ninja to come out for that event but by that time he was so big that like he was just like I, you know this i've got other things i'm working on but i'm glad we we, we had the opportunity to work with all the optic influence because they you know they showed up they did their thing they interacted with the fans but we we worked with epic games on that actually and it was the first time this was before the Fortnite world cup it was the first time that they had allowed that they essentially would allow a third party to do an event that big so they flew out themselves um just to see how everything would go because they were trying to learn like well how does our game uh work in kind of this 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 open land environments um so we learned a lot from them 
I would like to say they learned a lot from us as well. But, you know, the concept was that all the, the optic players, the influencers would, we had four stations, you know, uh, that was like, like on this raised platform, it looked like, you know, it was this kind of wooden built deck, you know, much like in Fortnite. And then on the pit surrounding them, uh, was just the sea of PCs, um, that, you know, basically any fan, we had a queue, a huge line, uh, any fan could come in and play with those influencers on stage. So they would drop into the same lobby, uh, with them, you know? So, um, that man, that was a massive undertaking, you know, to, to be able to pull that off, but we got it streamlined. It was so smooth. It was fluid. Everybody had a great time. The influencers had a great time. They got their shining moment. They got to meet with the fans. Uh, th- I mean, there's a kid actually that came, his name is Bartonologist. Uh, and now he's a big, not, he's a big name streamer, like kind of pro battle wow. royale player. I remember meeting that kid there and, uh, uh, he was giving all the the pro players a run for their money. And I was just like, man, that kid is really good. You know, he's going to be great one day. And now he's just, you know, look him up. He's this big time streamer. Um, you know, he's still young, uh, but he's, he's really great. Uh, so that event was awesome. You know, it was, it was, it was, as you said, kind of taking that competitive light away and really bringing in this recreational fun environment, um, where the fans could interact with optic in a way they've never been able to before. Um, so that event was awesome. You know, we, we, we executed a lot of events like that, you know, some were white label things, you know, we worked with, uh, professional sports teams to do things, you know, we worked with, um, Overwatch League teams, you know, um, we worked with, you know, tournament organizers to do things. Um, so that, that whole year was super busy. That was kind of our launching pad, but in the background, there was something else brewing and, um, you know, that was esports stadium, Arlington. Yeah. And, uh, so the conversation, you know, I, I remember getting hit up by Neil Lehman. I was in Arkansas cause I had moved to Texas at that point mm-hmm. and I was traveling on weekends to be with my kids back here in Arkansas because yeah. you know my, my, my ex-wife lives here. So I remember being here on the weekends and I get a call from Neil Liebman and he says, you know, if you don't know who Neil Liebman is, he's a uh, co-owner of the Texas Rangers. Um, yeah. he, he calls me and says, Hey, I want to build an esports arena and uh, we're going to get the city to partner on it. And I said, okay, perfect. Uh, he said, can you be here um, to meet with uh, an architect um, Monday? So I was like, <laughs> I'm there, you know, yeah. so I, I'll be back in town. So I met with Chris Cheney. I met with Brian Marakian from Populous. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the restaurant. It was somewhere in Dallas. Um, it was just like some, random cold day. And uh, we had a conversation and kind of laid out this idea, this vision, you know, populace had really been, you know, brainstorming and envisioning what an esports facility could look like for the longest time. So we had a conversation. We were like, okay, let's, let's, let's move this forward. Right. Um, from that point, you know, I, I really drove in and took lead, um, and started working with the city of Arlington and populace to kind of, curate this idea. I remember drawing down the performa, you know, like, well, how does the financials, like what, what type of revenue, how do we make money in this facility? You know, right. what are our expenses? What are our costs? I had no idea what the facility was going to be at that point. You know, mm. I, like it was, it, there was this idea that we could take some of the properties in Arlington and uh, retrofit them to be an esports facility. And the number one prospect was the Arlington convention center. So I remember meeting with, you know, Neil Ray Davis, you know, the, the city of Arlington trade, Yellow. Um, and, 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 and the mayor, and we walked 
through, you know, the, with the, the, the existing at the time, the existing convention center staff, uh, Mike Hunter, Justin Grinsley, we walked through and uh, just kind of looked at the bones of the facility. You know, it was this, it was this older convention center that, you know, it, it was definitely past this prime. I think it was built in like the sixties or something like that. Yeah. It was, it's an older, it's an older building. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you go there now, you can still see, um, you know, how old it is just by being on the expo side, you know, because it's, you know, one half is an expo center, the other half is esports stadium. Um, but even then that half that exists now was built like in the nineties or early two thousands. So, right. um, so even that still looks dated, just imagine what the other side of it looked like that we built over, you right. know, I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful facility, but you know, Arlington had a vision and they did a study sometime in 2017, you know, about esports. They wanted to learn about this new fast emerging industry. Um, they're a sports entertainment district, right? So this was something that really intrigued them. They knew that they had to be involved. They had to be a part of that growth. And, you know, the city of Arlington, they were such great partners, you know, their, their vision uh, aligned exactly with, with what we wanted to do and how we wanted to build it. Um, and uh, so, so from there we, we looked at it and we said, look, you know, I, I kind of got in, I said, this would be great to have a stage here. This, you know, this, this kind of four year area, this gallery, like we could turn this into a day-to-day -day business model where people could come in and do something when a big event's not happening. Mm -hmm. You know, this area where we have storage behind the ballroom, like this could be our production facility. It could be the heart. It's like in the middle, you know? Um, and then in the back area, you had all your meeting room spaces. And I said, well, this could be your team rooms, you know, your player lounges, your, your, your space where, you know, when, when a big tournament organizer comes in that they can do catering and all this, you know? So like first pass, man, like it was not too far off from where we ended up being. I think we ended up moving the stage from like dead center. When you walk into the left side of the facility due to power, yeah. power access and, you know, other things like seating, but, um, uh, you know, from what it started out on that first pass, it's kind of crazy. It, it ended up being very similar to what the end product was. So we spent, and I think it was January of 2018 is the first time I met with the city and we sat down, they were like, we want to do it. We're going to do it. Um, we're going to put in X millions of dollars um, and we're committed. We're going to do this. In their mind, they were going to build a new convention center later down the road anyway. So they needed to find something for this, this old piece of infrastructure. Yeah. Right. So like they would, they would put some money in, we would come in and put the operational cost of, of operating the business in, right. That was our part. So we, we signed an agreement with them. Um, they, you know, they, at the end of the day, they ended up investing around $10.6 million into the project. And, uh, that got us our renovation of the facility that got us all the technology, the, the 90 foot led wall, the stage, um, all of that, you know, and, and we came in and obviously we, as a, the operating co ended up, you know, bringing in all the PCs, the consoles, the gaming equipment, right. And, and also the, we, we covered the overhead for the staff. Um, but from there, it, from January, 2018 is sitting down with the city to November 19th. I want to say that's how long it took us to build esports stadium, Arlington from an mm -hmm. idea at a table to opening our doors, November 19th, that that's how long it took. You know, that was a super, that was one of the most stressful, but like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like man it, that that year 
like it was, it was stressful all at the same, but like, I was just so hyped. I was so energized. I was so excited for what we were doing, you know? Um, so we were building, we were building a mo- business model as we were building a facility. Um, and throughout all of that, you know, our, when we opened our doors, our first event was uh, ECS season six, which is a, a, a face it event. Yeah. So I was at it. that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that was huge, you know? Um, but man, that the story behind getting that event, getting them to relocate from Europe to the U S mm. in that it was like perfect timing. Simon Bennett, uh, another good friend who's also with AOE creative got me connected with, uh, the, the group over at face it. And we explored like, Hey, we're building this arena. They were like, no, you're not, no, you're not, it's not, <laughs> it's not happening, but no, we really are like, you know, we've got, you know, here, here's the investment we're getting here, You know, this is we're already started on this. Yeah. So, we, we were working with them. Um, uh, now a good friend of mine, Ben Aykroyd, who, who took lead on their side, um, worked with me to, and, and they were, you know, they were, as they should have, and they were super hesitant to commit. I don't think we got a contract down until October. And mm-hmm. then the event was November itself, but they were super hesitant, you know, because like, like who does this, who goes out and, you know, retrofits a hundred thousand square foot facility and turns it into the largest dedicated esports facility in the country. Like nobody does that. You've got to be crazy. Right. Um, so, but we, we, we got that event booked, you know, and like, it was like the city wanted to open at a certain time. Yeah, you know, there was this, this, this deadline we had to hit and we had to open with a big event. So I was just like scrambling to find what is this big event and luckily face it was willing to bring ECS season six, which was great because they brought, you know, some of the biggest teams, cloud nines, team liquid Astralis, um, yeah. ninjas and pajamas like it. And, and it was huge. We sold out, um, opened our doors and I'm, I'm not kidding you. Like, um, leading up even, even while, we were broadcasting. We were still, we still have people in the back patching things up, like still getting things ready, you know, like that week, that week leading into ECS, I didn't sleep, you know, and and the months leading into ECS, I didn't sleep because I'm trying to work with, you know, a team that's based in London and, uh, (laughs) that time difference, that time difference is insane. I'm designing a facility at the same time. I'm running engage on the side as well. Um, but you know, we ended up getting the contract to the city making it happen. We opened our doors, uh, at the end of November Thanksgiving weekend, actually, uh, is when we opened, and uh to a sold out crowd we broke you know face it broke youtube viewership records for csgo um it was the press like i'd done so many interviews like i had met with media like it was it was insane you know wow. that the city's partnership throughout all of that populace's partnership it was it was such a humbling and amazing experience to be a part of that uh, but also very stressful because there was so much happening out throughout that entire year, you know, and I wouldn't have been able to do it without, you know, my team, you know, I brought Corey Dunn on, yep. um, and, Love and that was, the, that was an interesting story in itself. Um, I hit Corey up on LinkedIn cause I was, I was just trying to find rock stars, you know, like I wanted nothing less than rock stars to join our team. Right. I heard that this guy named Corey Dunn was living in, in Fort Worth and he was a legend in the space. So I hit him up on LinkedIn. He ghosted me for three months and I guess he saw <laughs> come on Corey what are you doing yeah he, he saw the announcement for ESA come out so he was like you know what that guy reached out to me so he got back to me and I'm man it was so crazy I was like yeah I want to I want to hire you Corey was like man I've got you know this career um you know I'm already doing really well I stepped away from esports like everybody's been trying to hire me 
Uh, and I told him no. And I was like, well, what, what does it take? You know? And so I told Corey, my vision, uh, told him what we were doing, walked him to the facility, you know, and, uh, he accepted the offer and I'm, wow. I'm not kidding within like three weeks, he was on my team and that dude contributed so greatly to the design of the facility as well. Yeah, you know, incredible. and he is, Corey is an absolute rock star, uh, an amazing leader. I, I learned a lot from Corey and really value the time that I had to work with him. Um, but you know, it was really the team that, that helped prop the stadium up. You know, I was just kind of guiding the vision and making sure that, that it happened. Um, we opened, and that first year was insane. I mean, it was absolutely insane. You, you, I, I can't even describe like how many, you know, big events we brought, how much stuff we did, how many people we have through the facility, yeah. you, you know, the millions of dollars in revenue we made. It was an amazing year. That was 2019. Um, I mean, we, we negotiated and brokered a deal with the esports awards to bring them from London. Shout outs to uh, yeah, Kim. I was just my, there. I was just yeah. there for the esports awards. Yeah, and that yeah. was their third year on contract. So I remember inking that deal down with them. Uh, somehow convinced them to come from from London mm-hmm. to the U.S where they're literally operating out of London. They'd never done their show or done any work. <laughs> and, and somehow we got a three-year deal with them. Um, and, uh, you know, when I inked that deal down, like I was like, to me, that was, that was just like, all right, man, this is, this is, this is huge. You know, we got uh, CRL, um, which is the collegiate rocket league national finals with psionics before they sold to Epic. Uh, we, we worked with them for, for the first two years that, uh, I was there with the stadium. We did, uh, the Madden classic, uh, with EA, which was the largest Madden land event uh, that they had ever done. It was actually, actually insane. Like that, like they, you know, cut it up and put a lot of the broadcasts on national TV. They did a big live stream. Um, that was insane. Various other huge events. Uh, I mean, we worked with ESL for guns of boom. Uh, we did the very first home stand for overwatch league and then the pandemic hit. And I think that's a mute point for a lot of conversations. You know, um, we all know how that kind of impacted and affected the events industry. The, I think it was, we, we started seeing it towards the end of, 2019, you know, like we weren't really concerned. We were knees deep and getting ready to host, uh, the gears, uh, North America major. We were knees deep in getting ready to host the very first apex major that was ever supposed to happen. That was supposed to be in Arlington, Texas. Like that was going to be crazy. We had like multiple stage designs done that we were working with PGL and, and EA on that event was was supposed to be nuts and we were super excited about it, but we started seeing the impact that kind of COVID was happening. And I remember, um, I remember March 13th when the whole world just shut down, you know, it was uh, right before the Miami overwatch league homestand. Cause I remember on the 14th, I canceled, I think, I, I think that was either the 14th or the 15th, but yeah, I, I, canceled the tickets, canceled the hotel in Miami and for a year and a half did not get on a plane. Did not get on a plane. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember, I remember when it happened, you know, like our, we were just sitting in our office and, uh, yeah, we were monitoring it and then it just, it was just like that, you know, we sent everybody home, just said, Hey, let's, you know, I think it was a, I think it was a Thursday, send everybody home. Hey, you know, let's just, just take an extended weekend. Let's see how things shape out, you know, take care of yourself, be safe. We didn't see each other in an office 
for I think it was like six months. You know, um, like we had like that was the last time we would see each other in person because back then it was serious. It was really and it's, it's still serious. We just have a different, yeah. you know, but we had no now. data. We had no idea how how deadly this was. There was obviously no treatments that were or vaccines that were approved or known to exist. And it was just a lot of unknown so much unknown we thought we were going to be back in office in a week you know um we thought we were going to still host you know the the apex major mm-hmm. and it got pushed back uh multiple events kept getting pushed back and um you know we just we just started seeing how serious it was man I, you know and and being in an event venue and having to deal with COVID, it was it was unreal you know it was unreal we had contracts getting canceled left and right you know and and, and you know, as, as they should businesses where they were trying to get their deposits back. And it, it just, it started to impact us financially very heavily, you know, having to deal with that throughout the entire time, um, having to keep our employees, you know, we, we, we wanted to keep our employees and we started seeing companies just letting people go in mass. And we said, we're not going to do that. You know, we, we were talking with our board every day about our, our financial uh, situation. And when you, you know, when you go from having a super successful first year of business, you know, to literally diving into a pandemic as the largest dedicated esports facility in the country that has so much to prove and so much potential, um, and so much momentum to build off of, to then just going right into a pandemic, it, it was the most stressful experience in my entire life. You know, we, we went full remote. I remember having to shut the venue down and like, you know, we were super cautious about having to let people in and like, who would go do this? Who would go do that? You know, it was really tough. Um, and then restrictions started to ease a little bit. I just remember being at home, not even leaving. I was afraid to leave my house. Like I was afraid to go to, like, I, I thought it was a ghost town in the world. You know, sure. like it, and it kind of was. Yeah. But I remember kind of restrictions starting to ease a little bit and they started to let some businesses open up. We still could not open to the public. You know, we still could not host physical events um, because of the classification of our, our business. But what we could do is we could do we could use our production facility, right? We could, we could be a, a media a studio. Mm-hmm. We could exist, but we still had to follow certain rules. Um, so what we started to shift our focus to is cause we were, we were burning money trying to keep our employees. You know, when, when you don't, you've never been through a pandemic before, you have no idea how long it's going to last. You know, you don't, you don't know how long you have to wait this out. So our idea was like, okay, maybe, maybe a month, you know, month turns to two months, two months turns to three. And we're like, okay, you know, like we're still carrying this overhead. We're trying everything we can to make money, but we can't. So we, we shifted to kind of this remote broadcasting uh, type thing. We started doing our own content. There were a lot of businesses and companies um, and, and agencies that needed a lot of, uh, you know, uh, white label broadcasting done, you know, because the whole world shifted to online tournaments started being online. So we just started doing a lot of stuff online and we started bringing revenue in, which was crazy. Yeah. It wasn't what we needed, but we started to kind of, you know, like we were spending so much, but we started to do this a little bit. Right. You know, and, and our number one priority was taking care of the people that had, had been there to build it. We did everything we could, you know, and at some point we had to make, you know, some cuts. Unfortunately, we tried everything we can to bring more revenues up and we started getting into 2019 or 2020 Q4. Um, and believe it or not, we were actually about, we, we were close to becoming 
break even at that point. Right. So we were like, okay, yeah. Into 2020, we're we're getting break even. We're bringing in enough money. Uh, we're, you know, we're paying our bills, we're paying our staff, we're keeping jobs. And then, you know, we were thinking that the world was going to come back online. And early 2021, you know, we were just listening to the publishers. We were listening to the tournament. Like nobody had any clue what was going to happen when things would come back. But we were just like, okay, we think we think Q1 2021. Hmm. Um, you know, little did we know, man, it was just this thing dragged on for so long. And I think we're just now getting to the point where we're recovering from it. You yeah. know, you know, you're seeing land events happening and coming back and, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's weird all in the same, like, you know, when I was in Philadelphia, uh, you know, with nerd street opening, you know, their, their flagship local host venue, like seeing that many people in a confined space, it was weird. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was weird. And, but it felt great all in the same, you know, um, because I had been this kind of social, you know, just, just turtle sitting in, you know, working remotely with my team for a year. And, uh, now we're all in this huge environment, opening our flagship venue that we've been working towards. And, you know, we're, we're back at it. People are, people are back to playing and now we're all a little more cautious. We all wear a mask, you know, but, sure. um, we're now just now getting back into it. But back then, man, we had no idea, you know, we had no idea. And then, um, you know, there was this, this, this unfortunate thing that happened. Um, and I'm sure you heard about it, but, uh, the entire staff at ESA was let go myself included and uh, new leadership was put into place, right. You know, and, and there's a whole story to that, that, you know, um, we could dive into and it would, it would take another hour. <laughs> and I've actually never told that story publicly. Um, but, um, you know, it's an interesting story of how it all happened. It's, it's, it's a story of nepotism. It's a story of greed and, um, you know, lack of understanding and personal opinions and sure. unfortunately impacted an entire team of professionals that were really good at what they were doing. Um, that had so much potential that just needed a little bit more time to make it happen, mm. you know? Um, what I would love to dig into real quick here, we, you know, we're, we're near the end of wrapping up this episode. And so what I would love to have you share is what was the number one thing that you learned during your time at that stadium, whether that was that first year uh, when you were building this to become a viable business or maybe that was, you know, during that high stress moment, uh, time through COVID, what was, what was something that your, your biggest takeaway? Man, uh, my biggest takeaway was, was how important people are, hmm. you know, how important people are to the success of your vision, what you want to create, um, how important they are to your own success and how important you are to theirs. Right. Um, my biggest takeaway was, was, becoming a better leader. And I still, even today have a lot of work to do. I don't think we ever reach our max potential of, of leadership. You know, um, sure. I think, I think good leadership comes from listening and learning and taking what, uh, others are good at and, and empowering those skills, you know, empowering them to be successful, to make their own decisions, to be very action oriented, but also, you know, you being able to hold them uh, accountable to ensure that that vision is intact and, and, and that you're listening to them as well, that you're growing, you're developing people. It's very important. It's not even on the operational side. It's, it's also on the community side, you know, mm. um, you know, being authentic to your community, um, means that they're going to come back and they're going to pay, you know, it's going to pay dividends to you and your business. You know, you have to authentically build a home, uh, a place for, for them to call, 
you know, their local arcade, their local game store, you know, and when you host the big events that you're still paying tribute to them, but you're paying tribute to an even larger amount of uh, fans, you know, Um, but we're not just FGC. We're not just FPS. We're everything esports. You know, we're mm. we're growing and, and rising with the tide together. So, um, whether it's working with people within our organization, uh, working with the community, working with partners externally, you know, one thing that I've I've always tried to do is 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 give as many opportunities for partners within my network to thrive. You know, to have to have a piece of the pie. What we're doing to be a part of that growth. Um, you know, because they're always going to come back and, and repay that to you, right? Like loyalty, trust, um, inclusiveness is, is very important in our industry. So, you know, I know it's cliche, but um, people, people and the importance of those people uh, in your life and, and, and how they help you shape and mold your vision is one of the most important things I've learned throughout that journey. I love that. I, I had a very inspirational moment years ago. I, I worked for a tax firm. And it was what uh, showed me an office job could be a positive experience and encouraged me to go back to school for my marketing degree. And what the CEO um, of that company said was, John, it's all about the people. You know, we spend more time with the people we work with than our families a lot of times. And at the end of the day, it's how you treat each other. It's who you can rely on. And just great people who have each other's backs. And I've really kept that in mind through the last, I think that was about 15 years ago. And so through my journey in the back of my mind is what's more important than what you do even is who you work with. And it sounds like you've discovered that as well through your journey. 100%. And, uh, you know, never close that door for, for learning, right. Um, for expanding your knowledge of what you're doing, expanding your relationships and, and shake every hand, shake every mm-hmm. hand and, and hear that person's story because this industry is still so small and has so much room to grow. And you never know when the next Chris Cheney is going to walk into your life and, sure. and complete, you know, completely change opportunities for you and many within your network. I love that. Well, we need to have you back a second time to dig a little bit deeper into uh, more of the story, more of the insights, more of the learnings. But man, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad I get to kind of kind of preach the word of uh, of what I've done and, and my vision and my mission here. So hopefully uh, it was a, a good learning experience. Absolutely. It's it's super inspiring to me and I know to so many others. Um, Before we wrap up, how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you um, as you continue your, your journey? Yeah, you know, um, so I think Twitter's a really good place, um, at SolidXPanda. Um, you could also find me on LinkedIn, um, pretty responsive there. So Jonathan Othon on LinkedIn, um, those are really two good places. And from there, um, you know, uh, you can get my email address, my phone number, whatever you need. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.